Welcome to the My New Life message with Mac McDonald. As a former member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saint, or formerly known as Mormon, Mac converted to Christianity on September 29, 2020, and it has since changed his life. With a love and passion for his LDS friends and the LDS people, Mac's heart is inspired to open the eyes and ears to those friends and members and lead them to the Word of God found only in the Bible. Salvation is only given through Jesus Christ, and it is Mac's passion to lead members and friends to Christ and His road to salvation. Welcome to My New Life. My name is Mac McDonald. This is part two, our first big move. We would have one more child in that ward, Connor David Scott. He would be born on January 9th, 1999, our last child of the 20th century. In the summer of 2001, I was working for a bank as a financial advisor. It was a great job and I loved and enjoyed the people that I worked with. One day, my area supervisor, who oversaw all of Arizona, came to me and asked if I would be interested in taking a position in the White Mountains in a small town called Sholo, Arizona. I've been going to the White Mountains since I was 12 years old and I loved it. He knew I was LDS and there, there were many members of the church up there. I told him I would be interested, so he planned for me to go up there and talk to both branch managers. There were two branches in the White Mountains, one in the Pine Top and one in Sholo. We just so happened to be going camping up there in a few weeks, as we always did, taking my parents along with us. So I took the opportunity to visit with both branch managers. Upon coming home from the camping trip, my wife and I both agreed that it would be a good idea for us to take the job and move up to the White Mountains. A few months later, I was sitting in a U-Haul full of our personal belongings and Cheryl had the minivan loaded with the kids. We were going to stop by my parents' house and to say goodbye. We'd already said our goodbyes to our friends in, in the ward who, like us, were all very sad to see us leave. As I sat there in that U-Haul, ready to make the biggest move we'd ever made in our lives, suddenly this gross feeling hit me right in the pit of my stomach and somehow I knew I was making a huge mistake. Unfortunately, there was nothing I could do to change it since we had already sold our home and I had accepted the job. For years, I looked back on this moment and saw it as a moment when I didn't listen to the Holy Spirit. I had regret and felt because I didn't listen, I almost tore my family apart and that this was all my fault. Fortunately, later on in my life, I would learn that this simply wasn't true. We moved to the White Mountains in September of 2001. We lived in the town of Sholo when we first moved up there and would later buy a home in a small town called Taylor, Arizona, which is a sister city to Snowflake, Arizona. Both towns combined had a population of about 10,000 people and were easily about 90% LDS. From the moment we moved up there, I knew right away that we did not fit in the White Mountains in this culture. It was nothing against the people at all. It just that Cheryl and me and our family were like square pegs in a round hole. It would be in the White Mountains where things in our perfect little family would start to have problems. Unfortunately, this is where my story first started. Sitting there in that stake president's office with those 16 hands on my head, giving me a blessing. I'd been excommunicated. And as if my world couldn't get any worse, I remember after he gave me that blessing, his final words to me after everyone else had left the office. He said, I better not ever catch you taking the sacrament. 
you are no longer a member of of this church, and you better not try to use your priesthood in any capacity. He told me all I could do was give my children blessings, and that was it. I could not have any callings, and I was to no longer wear temple garments. His final statement was the most memorable. I hope you don't die between now and the time you are baptized and get all your temple blessings back. According to him, if I were to die, I would be subject to outer darkness, or at best, the telestial kingdom. That until I received my membership back in the church with all my priesthood and temple blessings, I was going to hell. The court that I was told was a court of love and guidance is now telling me that there is no hope for me if I die before coming back to the church. Talk about hopelessness. I lost my membership in January of 2004 and wouldn't get back my full membership and priesthood until August of 2012. In all, it would, t- it would be eight years before I would find myself returning to the valley and out of the White Mountains. In those eight years, Cheryl would give birth to our last child, Zachary Wyatt, born on March 17, 2004, exactly 21 years to the day I reported to the MTC for my mission. I would quit my job as a financial advisor at the bank and take a job as a commercial lender at a very small community bank. Two years later, that bank would be acquired by a bigger bank. This would lead to me getting fired for the first time in my adult life. After two years of unemployment, I would take a job working at the local paper mill, which would eventually get shut down less than a year later, at which time I would find myself unemployed again. Also during those eight years, Cheryl and I started a youth football league called Snowflake Taylor Youth Football and Cheer, which would become a part of an even larger group, White Mountain Youth Football and Cheer, and include 10 different mountain communities. After heartache and strife, sprinkled with moments of joy, I would not only get rebaptized, but have all my priesthood and temple blessings restored and finally move out of the White Mountains in January of 2013. I could write volumes about the experiences up there because they were all amazing in my learning process and eventually made me who I am, but I will save that for another time. In August of 2005, I was rebaptized into the church, which was the beginning of my long road back. It was shortly after this baptism that I would find myself for the first time looking into my church, its canon, as well as its history. I was sitting in priesthood, opening announcements that fall of 2005, when the bishop announced that he had excused the Aaronic priesthood out to the parking lot where they were taking anti-Mormon CDs off the windshields of cars in the church parking lot. Up to that point in my life, I had one experience with what is considered anti-Mormon literature, and it was while I was on my mission. My companion and I were crossing the campus of, of the University of Wyoming in Laramie, Wyoming, As we cut across the campus to find a place to go tracting, we noticed in the middle of the campus, in front of the school gymnasium, there were about 30 tables filled with food. My companion and I thought it a great opportunity to take the invite for a quick snack before we started tracting. We parked our bikes and walked over to the tables, and the kind ladies began preparing a plate of food for us. It was at this moment that we looked over to our left after hearing the doors fling open to the gymnasium. Our eyes focused up above the doors. There was a huge banner that read 1983 Jehovah Witness Convention. I never knew what a Jehovah Witness was. I would later learn that their doctrine was nowhere close to LDS doctrine. 
Several men, seeing our missionary name tags as well as our suits and 10-speed bicycles, immediately came over and started talking about their church and its doctrine. It was a whirlwind. I don't remember all the details of the things that were said about the doctrine, about their doctrine versus LDS doctrine, but the one thing that stuck out that I did remember was they accused Joseph Smith of being a treasure seeker. I remember getting very sick to my stomach, putting the plates of food down and leaving. That nauseous feeling stayed with me throughout the day. That evening, I called my mission president and explained to him what had happened. He told me that the sick feeling I was getting was the Holy Spirit telling me to stay away from those things. So that's exactly what I did from then on. I stayed away from anything that was considered anti-Mormon. So back to the CD being taken off the windshields. There was a buzz going about the room as to what the CDs were about. And the word was it was something regarding the book of Abraham. Like I said, I didn't know anything about anti-Mormonism or anti-Mormon literature, and I'd never heard of any controversy regarding the book of Abraham. My curiosity was piqued, and I noticed that that sick feeling in my stomach was not present and assumed it was because, just because I had been given the Holy Spirit, but since I didn't have my temple or priesthood blessings, I didn't have the power of discernment. I went home that night and looked up on our computer upstairs the book of Abraham, and sure enough, one of the first hits was this video from a group called the Institute of Religious Research, which was a non-denominational Christian group. This video was about 45 minutes long, and it told in a theatrical documentary context the entire history of the Book of Abraham, how it came about, how it was written, everything up to the church receiving back the fragments of the Book of Abraham scrolls in 1967, along with an explanation that the scrolls were funerary documents about a person named Horace. I was shocked and disappointed about this. However, I knew the church had an explanation, and I knew I was going to find the answer and be okay. For the next two years, I would spend most of my free time studying this issue as well as several other issues. When I say issues, what I mean is, when you go to, onto the church websites that they endorse, such as FAIR.com, JeffLindsay.com, DanielCPeterson.com, and the Maxwell Institute, all these sites have responses to this topic of the Book of Abraham, but you're also introduced to topics that I'd never heard of, issues regarding the Book of Mormon, and even more in-depth about the life of Joseph Smith, his history, and polygamy. About halfway through my two-year journey, I had concluded that Joseph Smith was an inspired man and that although the source material for the Book of Abraham may not have been about the Book of Abraham, the documents could have been repurposed to inspire Joseph Smith regarding the Book of Abraham. Regarding the Book of Mormon, I just figured there wasn't enough research done as far as archaeology. There were some more there were some more concerns I had, and maybe the terminology wasn't the same, but I knew that Joseph Smith was a prophet, and I knew the answers had to be somewhere. Sure, there were a lot of things that didn't make sense to me, like Joseph Smith using a seer stone and placing it in his hat, which was not what I was told. There were other portions that I had never heard of and figured the Lord didn't see fit for us to know those things for now, for now, or he was testing our faith. I felt this way until I started studying Joseph Smith's history, specifically polygamy. It was here when things started to change for me. I learned some very interesting things that the church didn't have any answers for, things they started using rationale that made no sense and confused me even more. I learned that Joseph Smith had 33 wives. I learned that 11 of those wives were married to other men. 
and only three of those husbands, men, weren't members of the LDS church. I learned that there was factual evidence to show he had intimate relations with several of these women, including the married ones. But the thing that struck me the most was when I found out that Joseph Smith lied to his congregation, never admitting to practicing polygamy. In fact, he was denying the fact that he was practicing polygamy, even going so far as to keep a section of the Book of Commandments, later called the Doctrine and Covenants, regarding marriage and the church's opposition to polygamy. Now looking back at my past research, I believed all these issues were indeed correct. How could I trust a man when he was lying to his congregation? I can't see God allowing anybody, especially the leader of his church, to be dishonest, much less commit adultery. Couple that with the fact that not only were none of these things discussed or disclosed in any of my church classes, but the church had labeled it anti-Mormonism, a bunch of lies, and that I should stay away from it. Late summer of 2007, I was driving back to work from lunch. The small bank I'd worked for had been purchased by another larger bank. I was driving past my branch office when all at once it hit me. I realized for the first time in my life that the LDS church was not true. Everything that I'd ever believed about it was a lie. I looked back on all my testimony building experiences, my mission, the countless priesthood miracles, kneeling in prayer, and having inspirations that gave me, at the time, zero doubt the LDS Church was true, and now they seem meaningless. Sadly, I had no one to turn to in the church for answers. I had tried that in desperation and was told that if I continued, I would probably be, ex be excommunicated. A few weeks after this experience, I walked into my bedroom, where my wife was sitting on the bed reading a book. She looked up at me and started talking about us getting our temple blessings back and me getting my priesthood back. I remember looking at her and pausing for a long time and finally saying that I no longer believed the church was true. In fact, I knew it wasn't true, with zero doubt. Most couples in the church, when they first get married, have what they call deal breakers, absolutes, things that if the other spouse did, there would be no forgiveness. I think the consensus among most LDS newlywed couples is that they all have this one deal breaker that both would have that if either ever left the church, that would be the end of the marriage. Cheryl and I had that conversation years ago and both agreed that leaving the church was a deal breaker. I was so worried that this would be her reply, but I couldn't lie to her and I couldn't live a lie. She had to know my true feelings. In typical Cheryl fashion, all she showed was her love for me. After all I had done to her, she showed nothing but her love and support. She asked me if I could continue to go to church with her and move forward with getting our temple blessings back. I told her that I would. She did ask about why I no longer believed it to be true, and my response was rather overwhelming to her. I remember her saying that she wasn't ready for this at this time. The bright spot in all this, besides my beautiful wife and family, was this. While studying the church and its history and its canon, I also investigated the Bible. Fortunately for me, I found amazing and comforting answers. I found there were many archaeological discoveries of the towns and even people that they thought didn't exist like the Hittites. I found that there were outside witnesses to Jesus as well as the apostles in their time here on earth. 
I learned that evolution had never been proven and went from hypothesis to narrative within a few short years after never discovering any scientific proof or archaeological evidence. I found that the Big Bang is impossible, that matter can't create itself, and likewise, in the absence of matter, again, matter cannot be created. I've been taught my whole life that the Bible was missing many plain and precious truths, which is why we had a restored church with other books, including the Book of Mormon. But I soon realized the Bible stands alone as the only word of God and the only word needed to lead you to salvation. Some of these things I would learn later in my spiritual journey, but it was awesome to be able to start that journey knowing the Bible was the word of God. Fortunately for me, when I realized the LDS Church was not true, I took my Bible with me. I would get my priesthood back and our temple blessings restored while living in the White Mountains. In January of 2013, I took a new job in a field of business, mortgage lending. After getting my license, I secured a job back in the East Valley. I went back home literally staying with my mother at the house I was born and raised in. Cheryl had to get a job in nursing down in the valley with me, which took a few, a few extra months. And the kids were still in school. Starting off in the mortgage industry without any experience was a rough road, and it took me about three years to turn the corner to start making enough to survive. In the meantime, Cheryl found a job with a major hospital in the valley with the young with the younger two kids transferring to schools in the Santan area, we moved into our new ward and found ourselves content. Eventually, we would buy a home in 2016, and everything seemed to be returning to normal for us. In 2017, my son EJ was the only one active in the church of my four older children, had met a beautiful girl, and decided to get married in the Gilbert LDS Temple. The marriage was beautiful. Cheryl and I were the only members of our family that were able to attend. Although our other kids were not in the temple, they supported EJ and loved his new bride, Lexi. Our three older girls all had issues with various parts of the church history and were not going. My oldest, Tiffany, had done the same research I had and had not only left the church, but she had accepted Christ and was moving on with her family attending her own church. She didn't tell me at the time, and at first I was resistant. I didn't know why, because I didn't believe the LDS Church was true anymore. I guess I didn't trust any church at that point. I just believed in God and the Bible. I would continue to study the church as far as its history and the controversial subjects that I used to shy away from. They now fascinated me. I found source after source of information regarding the real history of the LDS Church, especially Joseph Smith. I was well-versed in almost every topic. In the summer of 2020, I was sitting in church with the three boys, Vance, Connor, and Zach. Cheryl was at work, unfortunately. As we sat in church that Sunday, the topic of the speaker was the Kirkland Banking Society, a topic I knew very well. I knew the church had lied, telling a very pleasing version of this story, making Joseph Smith look like an innocent victim. I listened to this person's version of the story, which held the line with church history and their view of the incident. I sat there asking myself, why am I doing this? I knew none of this was true, yet I am subjecting myself every Sunday to listen to this. If they were talking about Christ, I was fine. But when they started talking about church history or doctrine, especially that of Joseph Smith, I had no doubt that these things were not true. I had finally had enough. I looked over at my three boys and gave the thumbs up, 
meaning let's go home. We all stood up at the same time, and that was the last time I ever went to an LDS church sacrament meeting as a member. I went home and called my wife and told her what I had done. I said I couldn't do it anymore as far as going to church and faking it like I knew these things were true. Over the years, I had given Cheryl a lot of information. She also had concluded that the church wasn't true. She would later tell me that her moment of realization came when I told her about the real history of polygamy, of Joseph Smith, all his lies, and his unfaithfulness to Emma. Her words to me were very profound at the time. She told me, that was fine. She understood I could not go to church anymore and act like I believed when she knew I didn't believe, and neither did she. She made it emphatically clear that it was my responsibility to find us a church to attend because we will go to church, as she said. This concludes part two, our first big move. Next week, listen to the conclusion of this story, part three, Accepting God's Grace. This tells of our acceptance of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and our salvation through His love and grace. Thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, or if you would like to meet with Mac McDonald, send your request to mac at newlifecasagran.com. Again, thank you for listening to today's message.